Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast Pitchfest 2020 series. I'm Nick Shirelli, thanks for joining me. Late last year, OIO ran the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. We were inundated with almost 200 applications from 38 countries and were blown away by the incredible breadth and quality of ideas and ventures that applied, all trying to make a positive impact on planet Ocean. Over the course of this Pitchfest 2020 series, We'll dive into the challenge and opportunity areas that each of the finalists are working on, find out about their unique solution, and discuss the key challenges and learnings they've encountered on their journey so far. We'll also discuss their why, their motivation for working towards a healthy ocean, what the road ahead looks like for them, and how you, the listener, might be able to support their journey. This week I'm talking to Andrew Rella, who is a coastal and environmental engineer and the Global Director of Engineering of Israeli-based startup Econcrete Tech Limited. Econcrete has developed concrete technology that combines high structural performance with ecological benefits. The industrialization and development of coastlines around the world has led to a drastic reduction in important shoreline habitat. By developing artificial habitat using bio-enhancing concrete, Econcrete can both restore habitat and protect coastlines from the increasing impacts of climate change. Econcrete offers a suite of high-performance, environmentally sensitive concrete solutions that enhance the biological and ecological value of urban, coastal and marine infrastructure while increasing their strength and durability. And, in addition to the ecological and biological advantages, Econcrete's technology also creates an active carbon sink through the growth of calcifying organisms that thrive on the the structures once they're in the water. This podcast episode is dedicated to Dr. Shimrit Perkle Finkel, the co-founder and CEO of Econcrete, who tragically passed away earlier this month. Dr. Perkle Finkel was a widely celebrated marine biologist and ecologist who specialised in the sustainable management of urban marine habitats. Passionate about reducing the ecological footprint of coastal and marine infrastructure, she spent the past 20 years eco-engineering innovative concrete products to transform coastlines. She also defied the norm of being a leader within a male-dominated industry. Dr Perkle Finkel was a co-founder and CEO, a wife and a mum, and she will be sorely missed by many. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Andrew Rella on the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. Hi Andrew and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Firstly, let me extend our deepest condolences from myself and everyone associated with Ocean Impact Organisation and the ocean community more broadly in Australia. Shimrit was a true ocean impact pioneer in every sense and she'll be sorely missed. Um, I'd also like to thank you for joining me today. I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to proceed with the discussion, but you you said that continuing to work towards Shimrit's vision is is what she would have wanted. So um, thank you very much for, for taking the time um, in what's no doubt a, um, a challenging period for you. No, thank you for that, Nick. Appreciate it. It's it's been a rough uh, week, but um, you know, as you said, we're all uh, very determined to forth our mission to its full potential. So, thank you for that, and as well for this opportunity. No problem at all. Well, let's let's um you know let's talk about Econcrete. Let's talk about that mission, what it is, what you guys are here to do. Um, Let's let's start from the start. Tell us a little bit about um, grey designs. What are we what are we talking about when we refer to grey designs in urban and coastal infrastructure? Yeah, well, when the reference grey um, is, is is sort of for us the the opposite of green or blue, um, which is referring to ecologically insensitive, ecologically sensitive or, or nature inclusive design. Um, so with gray infrastructure, traditional um, concrete infrastructure, as has been uh, the case for, for thousands of years, 
Um, it's uh, both chemically and, and design-wise uh, adverse to the, the growth of different marine species uh, actually on the surface of that infrastructure itself. Um, and actually, you know, really it's been the norm in the past for whatever growth does occur uh, on the concrete is typically scraped away or, or cleaned away with power washers or, or the like. Um, but the, the main issues with uh, traditional infrastructure is first the, the composition um, is very adverse to marine life. Um, not only is, is concrete very alkaline, um, it's pH between about 12 and a half or 13, um, most marine species prefer close to neutral seven, so very far off as far as that's concerned. But even beyond that, um, a, a lot of just negative uh, chemicals uh, are actually uh, put into the concrete mix design for one reason or another. Um, all have their purpose from a structural or uh, design standpoint and engineering standpoint. But uh, as far as marine life is concerned, many of these chemical agents uh, will actually leach out um, of the concrete element for years, if not decades. And, and that's why more often than not, we see very low levels of, of marine growth actually on the surface of the concrete. Um, and uh, if there is growth, it's typically um, either very low levels of growth or uh, actually invasive species um, overpopulating the area. And then from a design standpoint, uh, it, concrete uh, to date has been uh, designed very smooth um, and, and many times vertical surfaces. So really there's no uh, shelter or refuge um, for the different marine species to, to occupy the space. So um, it, they just find it a, a very harsh environment to grow and, and develop on. And then ultimately uh, they just are not very successful in that. Yeah, it's, I find it fascinating, this um, uh, the concept of coastal infrastructure and, and grey designs it's it's one way i think about it is that it's it's a problem that is completely visible everywhere but because it's we're so used to seeing um urban infrastructure and 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 harbor infrastructure we you know we don't understand what it actually should look like if it was if we hadn't come in and built cities and and ports and so forth you know we're um you know, I'm in Sydney, we, we talk about Sydney Harbour being, you know, quite often people talk about as being one of the most beautiful harbours in the world. And the reality of it is when you when you take a, a ferry trip around the harbour, I don't know what percentage it is, but it'd be interesting to find out what percentage of Sydney Harbour is actually now man-made structure. And that's either mostly, um, you know, concrete blocks, as you described, um, a mixture of concrete and sandstone, really, and all, almost all of it, um, vertical and flat. And, um, you know, very little uh, in terms of, um, you know, life attaching uh, to that infrastructure. And, you know, previously, um, this is the part that people don't think about, you know, what did that look like before man came along? And it would have been, it would have been mangroves and, um, and, and all sorts of other ecosystems with, with life thriving. And so essentially that's what e-concrete's all about, right? Bringing some of that life back to um, man-made marinas, ports, waterfronts, and so forth. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, as, as you said, we can never uh, restore the, the environment back to its natural condition because we're so far uh, beyond that. Uh, you know, New York City, for example, Manhattan is another great example. It used to be all marshlands, um, very, you know, mild sloping shorelines with marsh plantings everywhere. And, and now it's ultimately just been uh, made into vertical bulkheads um, around its entire perimeter. And even the thought of growth being on these different types of marine structures, people, it, it, as you said, um, have to wrap their head around that, that, you know, these were once uh, natural environments because come so far uh, from that. And so what e-concrete does, if I understand correctly, is you're not suggesting, um, you know, that we put more concrete infrastructure in place what you're saying is hey let's let's we have a better concrete solution here um, that can um, enhance the infrastructure with probably or possibly better structural properties but also um, enhance the biology and ecology of an area by attracting attracting life absolutely we, we recognize that you know concrete 
um, is the go-to material in, in coastal marine construction with over 70% of the world's coastal marine infrastructure being concrete-based. And you know, that, that's really been the case uh, ever since the Romans uh, created uh, hydraulic uh, concrete. They put volcanic ash in the concrete, allowed to get stronger over time, um, cure underwater. Um, and, and many of those structures are actually still functioning from a structural standpoint. Um, so we wanted to address, uh, you know, the problem within the material that's actually being used because um, we recognize that, you know, that will be the material for the foreseeable future, if not, um, you know, uh, forever, um, based off of the fact that concrete from a structural standpoint is an amazing material. It's readily available. It's cost effective. Um, you know, there's very, very good reasons uh, why it's used uh, so prolifically. Um, but we also recognize that, you know, with the ecological enhancement that we're introducing into the concrete, that we need to make sure that we ensure its structural uh, sincerity and, and purpose. And, you know, that's always our, our primary objective uh, is to maintain, maintain the, the structural um, purpose of, of the structure and not interfere with it um, whatsoever from that standpoint. But then um within that framework also uh provide for ecological uplift um throughout these infrastructures mm. andrew i'm going to throw you um uh put you on the spot here and and ask you about the romans do you, do you know <laughs> do you by any chance know how they came across the idea to put volcanic ash in the concrete mix yeah, but I, 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 and again, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert to this, but I, I would assume that it was probably, you know, they, they saw the very fine powder material um, and, and thought it would be an adequate subs, uh, substitute for, for the cement. Um, so, and, and probably only afterwards did they actually realize that it's full extent, but um, that, that's really only my best guess towards that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good. Sounds good to me. So tell me, um, so you're, uh, let's talk about some um, uh, competitors out there. How do you see the, the, what's the landscape look like for marine infrastructure um, with biological benefits? Uh, are you guys the only, only ones out there or do, is there other competitors, um, slightly different technologies, different products? Yep, I'd say there's a lot of groups out there um, working towards um, artificial reef and, 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 and different types of uh, enhancements that's solely uh, focused on the environment. Um, but really, we're in a league of our own as, as far as providing a fully structural solution for active marine infrastructure. So um, we're not really doing reef restoration. We're doing more so uh, active seawalls and breakwaters and, and scour protection for offshore infrastructure. Um, and, and, you know, when we get involved in a project, we need to ensure that there's some sort of uh, structural uh, purpose to the project, um, whether it be flood protection, shoreline stabilization um, or the like. And from what I understand, Andrew, your pitch to um, customers, it's not just about um, the fact that your concrete products can um, enhance the ecology uh, of, of a marine area. You, you also compete on, on price. And in fact, um, from what I understand, you might be slightly, typically you might be slightly over um, the upfront capex, but over the lifetime, over the extended lifetime of um, an infrastructure area, you, you can quite often be significantly cheaper. Yep, um, absolutely. And I guess uh, before I address that, I should I should finish the, you, you know, your last question a bit more fully that, you know, as you said, with what you just asked, you know, how do we compare to traditional concrete? And more so than anything, I would say that that is our biggest competitor is traditional concrete. That is what the the vast majority of, of, of if not nearly all the projects that are going into the water, um, you know, billions and billions of dollars uh, are being earmarked annually for coastal marine construction. And, um, you know, nearly 99% of the time they're using traditional uh, concrete and concrete technologies. So um, that's really what we're trying to uh, displace is, is um, 
the level of comfort and, and ease with implementing what's been done for many years before with our new technology. Um, and the value in that leading to, to your next question is, yeah, we may be uh, marginally uh, more expensive, um, you know, for, for a large scale project, you're probably looking at, you know, difference four to 7% on, on concrete material costs. But if you look at the return on investments, um, overall, we're uh, providing uh, expedited permitting. We're providing um, on-site mitigation, um, which can be uh, very significant and many times um, a, a roadblock to many projects being uh, built. Um, and uh, we're reducing the actual maintenance uh, requirements for the project because you have these marine organisms, uh, calcium carbonate-based or organisms, oysters, mussels, barnacles, basically a natural form uh, of cement. And um, they encase the, the structure. And so the structure is actually getting stronger over time. We're seeing less chipping, cracking, spalling um, on the surface of the structure. Um, the organisms actually absorb chlorides, so then you're having less chloride penetration. So um, chlorides ultimately uh, break down the, the rebar um, over time and rust it, and then the whole structural capacity of, of the concrete elements, um, unfortunately, uh, it, it is compromised. Um, and then they actually, the organisms themselves, again, the fact that they're calcium carbonate based, are actually increasing the compressive strength of the concrete. It's, it's quite um, amazing. The, the density of, of, of an oyster and, and these, these different calcium carbonate-based organisms are actually denser than um, the concrete itself. And if you can get them to grow on high enough uh, density around these uh, structural elements, then they can actually increase the compressive strength of the, of, of the concrete itself. Wow, that's fascinating. I had no idea about that until just now. So let me get this right. You're telling me your products attract oysters and other life, those, these calcium carbonate organisms, and they can increase the strength, the, the structural integrity of that uh, underwater concrete product. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's studies from Louisiana State University in, in the United States that, that, that show the presence of oysters alone over a two-year period can increase the flexoral strength tenfold. Um, tenfold? So wow. Just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, that's where we see the benefit of working with nature um, and, and, and the benefits of it, not only just from an environmental standpoint and provision of ecosystem services, but structurally as well. So, and if I'm not wrong as well, these, so let's, let's stick with oysters. So oysters mm -hmm. are sticking to your, um, your harbour infrastructure. Uh, it could be, um, uh, you know, what, what, what would it look like? A, um, sea walls, a pilot sea casements. Yeah. So just oysters will, will stick on. They will uh, increase up to possibly 10 times the structural strength of, of that, of that infrastructure. They're also filtering um, water and improving water quality, but they're also, so when they start to aggregate, they're also um, sequestering uh, or can sequester a significant amount of carbon. Correct. Yeah, if, if you had about, um, we've done some some rough calculations and for about one kilometer of, of seawall that's ecologically enhanced, um, say on average is about seven meters tall um that that absorbs about two tons of carbon annually and so that's the equivalent of, of about 100 trees um so it, it's not an immense amount of carbon sequestration but um any any bit will help and you know considering the uh thousands and thousands of miles of coastal uh, and marine infrastructure around the world if that was all um utilized uh, in that way it would be quite significant Absolutely, yeah. That's 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 phenomenal. Do you, do and it's you also see... important to note that the the carbon doesn't get released later on. Um, so so many types of carbon sequestration, um, you know, ultimately could be reintroduced back into to the atmosphere and the environment. But the fact that it's actually being used to form the shells of the, the oysters, the mussels, um, the, the barnacles, then it actually um, remains captured um, over time, long term, which is very important. So it stays in that shell regardless of what happens to it. Yeah, even if it's ground into very fine powder over millennia, you know, then ultimately though that that carbon is still captured and, and won't be introduced into the the atmosphere. So essentially, as it remains in as some sort of solid, it would it, it remains um, it, it doesn't get released. Exactly. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's there. You go. I didn't. We spent a little bit of time uh, talking pre-recording, and and we didn't we didn't talk through that. So I've just uh, found out uh, some of that brand new now. That's fascinating. Did do you see many customers um, uh, interested, or do you see people increasingly interested in being able to articulate um, the carbon sequestration potential? Like, do you see customers in the future? Um, going with e-concrete because they want to be able to say that this project has sequestered, you know, X tons of carbon over a, over a period. Absolutely. Um, without a doubt. I mean, over in, in the UK where, where I'm based, uh, that's one of the, the main objectives of, of the environmental framework over here at the moment. And, um, you know, elsewhere around the world, there's, there's many, many different places looking to become either uh, carbon neutral by, by certain dates um, or reduce their carbon emissions uh, significantly um, over the, the upcoming decades. So for us, um, and again, depending upon which market we're working in, that that's always one of the primary objectives, mm. especially but since concrete is so uh, the, basically the production of, of cement, the clinker. Um, they, they call it, you know, you have to basically put it through uh, very intensive and, and high, high, high carbon uh, em, emission processes to, to get the cement um, to a usable form. So um, concrete actually comprises about 88% of the world's uh, CO2 emissions. Wow. And it's actually con concrete is the second most used material by volume after water. It's pervasive, isn't it? And if we can, if we can make it better, then why wouldn't we? Let's um let's talk about your technology for a moment. There's, from what I understand, there's sort of three elements to uh, your products. The, f the first is the actual concrete admixture, um, and the second being the surface textures, and the third being your um your designs, the the, the actual designs of the product themselves. Um, talk us through those, and in particular, tell us a little bit about the admixture. Yep. So uh, the the admixture um, ult ultimately is very fine powder material, um, and it's mostly uh, byproducts from the quarry industry. So it's a ninety two percent carbon neutral, and uh, we apply it to the concrete mix or, or mix design to the equivalent of ten percent of the the cement. And uh, in many cases, we can actually um, initially we were doing it as an additive. Uh, but now that we've seen that the uh, material itself, the admixture, um, improved structural performance, um, we've seen an increase of 10% of compressive strength. We've seen reduction of, of, of weight loss when it comes to freeze and thaw cycles and, you know, a number of other different structural um, uh, targets that are very important for coastal marine construction, like chloride penetration. And now that we've undergone very thorough laboratory testing and have our, our certificates, um, now uh, we can actually apply it as a replacement of the cement content. So we can reduce the carbon footprint that way. Uh, so ultimately what we'll do is, is we'll uh, replace 10% of the, the cement um, with our admixture. And what the admixture is actually doing, um, even though it's, it's termed a biological or an ecological um, admixture, or bioenhancing admixture, um, really it's working through, through structural means. It, it's actually creating a denser concrete um, it creates a crystalline structure throughout the concrete element, and that actually uh, eliminates, we were discussing earlier, how different chemical agents and, 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 and whatnot can actually leach out of the, the concrete element uh, for many years. So actually, uh, the admixture seals the concrete. And so uh, regardless of what's in the, the mix design itself, um, that is no longer than interacting with the surface of the concrete element nor the surrounding environment. And we can create a, a biofilm um, within a matter of weeks uh, compared to several years. And, and you know, we're, we're getting uh, many cases, uh, 85 to 100% surface coverage of the concrete elements within uh, a two year period um, where traditional infrastructure can take decades if, if, if not, you know, at, at, you know if, if it happens at all. But, uh, you know, and again, we're not seeing these thriving ecosystems on infrastructure. We're seeing certain species that are thriving. Um, but um, really what we're trying to promote is a higher abundance and higher biodiversity of species. But I guess before I get too far off track with that, um, then combined with the 
um, other design elements on, on a micro to macro scale. Really what we're trying to do is incorporate the principles of ecological engineering and it's, you know, increasing the surface area, having um, more surface rugosity and complexity compared to a, a smooth, uh, flat surface. Um, we, we want to try to mimic nature and, and, and have as, provide as much shelter and refuge um, and, and complexity into the design as possible to promote the, the various species. Um, and, you know, we're not the only ones um, <clears throat> working from a design standpoint towards that. You have the Seattle waterfront, you have the Bangaroo Harbor, you have um, different uh, initiatives really all throughout the world that have recognized if you increase the complexity and, and the surface roughness um, on the design or the surface of coastal and marine infrastructure, it will improve the levels of growth. And then on, on, a, on a macro scale, on a larger scale, we want to have retaining elements. We want to really have uh, as much wetted surfaces as possible. Um, and again, we're, we're mimicking nature. So say with our, our tide pools, our precast tide pools, we're mimicking natural tide, tide pools and um, really trying to um, improve the overall design for, um, you know, typically we'll identify target species, um, native species that we want to promote in the region. And, you know, we want to have as many um, different species as possible to to provide, you know, and, and ultimately serve this uh, local food chain and ecosystem. Um, so we identify these different target species and then we ultimately can uh, alter the design of the units itself to cater to those individual and specific species. Yeah, you mentioned um, ecological and, and nature-based um designs andrew it just uh takes me back to a moment many years ago when i first came across the idea of of biomimicry and um i remember i, I can't recall the book but um at the time i was blown away when there was a chapter in this book that talked about um man-made structures and how we started building at some point everything in straight lines and the chapter was all about water flow and how we, you know, all of our pipes are straight, but essentially the quickest way for water to move from one point to another is not in a straight line at all. And it's in a, it's in a, a conical, like a cylinder type um, uh, flow. And I, I think that's always stuck with me. And, um, you know, nature-based design is, is such a fascinating area because, um, you know, the main thing that I take out of it is just how um, there's no concept of waste in nature. There's Absolutely. virtually zero, zero waste. And, um, you know, it's fascinating. I mean, we could sit here all day and, and talk about some of the best designs being based on natural uh, occurring uh, things. And a lot of people uh, probably don't even notice it every day that there's, there's designs every day that we're embracing. And, and thankfully, we're seeing more and more um, based around um solutions that people have found in nature we don't need to create recreate the wheel every time we we want a better design the answers are sitting staring at it uh, at us a lot of the time we just need to go out and actually look for them in nature absolutely uh so okay we've talked about the technology um we'll talk about some of your 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 pilot projects and and current um uh scalable projects that are going on uh, shortly but just um, off the back of the tech we talked about that let's talk a little bit about some of the products let's give the listeners a little bit of a um, uh, a little bit more context for what some of the products with your um, concrete tech look like and what they're used for yeah I mean ultimately the technology can be applied to any concrete that's intended for the marine environment and we actually have one, one virtual solution too which I, I can introduce later um, which is targeting mosses and lichens and, and different uh, terrestrial plants. Um, but, but really, you know, anywhere um, you have an infrastructure, whether it uh, be verticals such as seawalls or whether it be uh, breakwaters. And I, and I guess I, I, I suppose I can introduce e each of the different sort of off the shelf products that we have. Um, you know, obviously one would be our, our seawalls and um, the, the seawalls either can be uh, precast panels, they can be cast on sites um, where you actually, you know, are pouring the concrete um, at, at the actual construction site um, into the mold, you know, um, at, at where the structure will actually sit. Or then you can deliver alternatively, which is the precast option is, is you make them um, ultimately off site and you ship them 
um, fully constructed and then, you know, you install them um, in a vertical manner on site. Um, but without getting into too much detail, um, <clears throat> you know, th that's one solution. And, you know, really what we'll do is apply our admixture and we'll use um, mold liners or, or mold systems uh, to create the unique surface textures. We even have different um, agents um, that you can actually spray on the mold system that will give the, the surface of the concrete a, a, a unique surface texture. So depending upon the, the application itself, and you know, you know, we always have to keep in mind the the construction processes within the project. You know, we're we're often not the ones um, designing the project. We're um, um, we're we're the ones um, you know we're being brought in by the engineers and the landscape architects and, and fitting into um, existing projects. So. Um, you know that the application many times how it will be constructed and and and, and the, the overall structural design is is, is outside our, our, our scope of work um but otherwise we have brick water structures and rock rock armored revetments and rip wraps and you know uh, as i'm sure everybody has seen you know some sort of shoreline that is protected by rock armoring and um ultimately what we do is have several products uh armoring units which are subtitled so they would go below the influence of the of, of the tidal variation so below mean low water or our, our tide pools um which go between mean high water mean low water within the tidal zone and um ultimately these units are gravity-based units very heavy units anywhere from three and a half to, to, to one and a half tons um, in weight and and their sheer mass is what keeps them stable and, and protects the shoreline and, and stabilizes the shoreline um, but ultimately um, we replace uh, the rock armoring or even many times there's traditional precast concrete units that are specified especially you know in Australia and, and throughout the Mediterranean in Europe where there's very high uh, levels of exposure to, to wave conditions and, and, and winter storms um, many times there's not rock as locally available that's of a big enough size so that's you know where the need for these precast uh, concrete units comes from so we're either replacing rock armoring with our precast units or we're replacing or, or, or as an alternative using our, our precast unit versus other concrete precast units that are made from traditional concrete we can also integrate our technologies into those units so there's a lot of you know there's the um, many different designs out on the market being offered by many different companies and we can simply apply the admixture into the mix uh, mixing process and and uh, provide them with um, the mold liners for their existing mold systems so there's, there's really no limitation as far as that's concerned and that's really so for for breakwaters and, and and sloping shorelines then otherwise we have pile encasements so piers are, are supported by piles and um, in many places, the, the piles themselves are wooden, especially, uh, you know, this is a case study from over in the United States and in New York City. Ever since the Clean Water Act happened in the 1970s, the water quality has improved. And traditionally, you know, going back into the early 1900s, they just used uh, wooden piles. Um, and there was actually no problem with the wooden piles when the water was basically a dead zone because of the pollution. But now that the water quality has improved and we've seen an uptake in the number of species, now marine borers are actually more prevalent in uh, attacking the wooden piles. Um, so there were a number of structures that actually, you know, had collapsed and, and been completely compromised due to that. And so it's been recognized now that you have to actually um, take those timber piles and many times those timber piles can go hundreds of feet and meters um, into the, the soil beyond the actual, you know, let's say the Hudson River, you know, where a pier is could be 45 feet deep, but then the, the soil goes up to 200 feet deep. Um, until it hits bedrock. So these um, wooden piles are basically driven to bedrock. And then wherever that wooden pile is exposed to water, you have to cover it in concrete to protect it from marine bores. You basically um, have this concrete encapsulation from the surface of the pier all the way down into the mud. Um, and, and and then uh, ultimately that protects the concrete. So, you know, there's structures in, in New York City and elsewhere in the world. There's, there's one structure that has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of piles, I think 800 piles is Pier 40 in, in New York City. And it's basically a dead zone because none of those piles actually are supplying any ecological benefit. But if you could imagine if we have this structure um, that underneath it has 800 piles, which is all have ecologically enhanced pile encasements, and you could have... Uh, a significant uh, ecological impact on the environment, a positive impact rather than a negative one, if they were designed and constructed in the right manner. 
Um, so, you know, that, that's what we're working towards as far as piling casements. Um, otherwise, we have um, marine mattresses. So marine mattresses, um, so it's a bit hard to visualize, but, uh, you know, the, the paver blocks out on the street, imagine that if you were to take, um, you know, several hundred of those and string them together on rope, um, almost like necklaces, um, and basically make, uh, you know, a, a large mattress out of these rocks, uh, out of these blocks, rather. And, um, again, we're applying the admixture. We're applying a very unique surface texture and retaining features. Um, and these um, marine mattresses, they're used very heavily throughout the marine industry um, for scour protection and shoreline stabilization. Uh, in, in the offshore uh, market, they're actually used to protect from cables um, and, and the, the wind turbines themselves. So um, they're used in very, very high quantities. And really that's what we've done is we've identified different products on the market that are used uh, traditionally. And we've created ecologically enhanced uh, versions of them. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately working towards being a replacement for these traditional units. And and then um, I guess lastly, I'll just say that we have the one pressure product, which I briefly mentioned, and that's, um, you know, same technologies, um, but um, addressing the composition and the surface texture and the design, but for mosses and lichens and land-based plants. And this can be used for outside or inside garden spaces um, on the sides of buildings. And um, we've actually been very successful with that. That's probably a good uh, good segue there, Andrew. You mentioned New York. What was it? Eight hundred um, marine pylons in New York, or was that just a section of? That was just one single pier. That was just Pier Forty, the biggest pier in New York. So one single pier, eight hundred pylons. I mean, imagine, yeah. imagine uh, we've we've cleaned up the water to some well to a decent extent. Imagine uh, the life that could be. Um, you know, how thriving that life could be with 800 piers uh, full of full of life. Um, no one would think of New York as a dive destination, right? <laughs> but um, right. <laughs> wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool if people if people were all right, let's go check out let's go check out one of these. What was it? Pier 41. Pier 40, yeah, absolutely. Pier 40. Um, and the segue I spoke about, let's let's talk about some of your bigger projects coming up. Um, you know, you have um, You've been going at this for a while. I think Eat Concrete's been around for for ten years. Is it ten or how many years? Just just about. We started in two thousand twelve, so so nearly at the, the ten year mark. Coming up to it, close enough. You, you've you've done um, a series of pilot projects. I believe you've got projects over thirty projects in eight different countries. But two of the um, two of your bigger projects are coming up or are ongoing in the UK and New York. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah. I mean, as you said, you know, it, it's, it's been a long uh, validation process and, and, you know, um, really the bulk of our efforts from 2012 to 2016 were validating this technology globally. Um, so, you know, we've had projects in the, in the Mediterranean and the Red Sea and in, in, in you know, all across the eastern seaboard of the United States, um, Monaco, Hong Kong, uh, Spain, um, Rotterdam, and, and in the UK and uh, Israel, you know, and, and many of them have been smaller scale projects. Um, many of them have been sort of validation projects with local ports, Port of Rotterdam, Port of San Diego. We just had projects with um, finished installation just be before, um, ju just last month. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're picking more and more traction up and in, in, in the comfort level with using our technology is increasing, especially with, with engineers who ultimately are the ones specifying the, the use of the materials um, in these projects and infrastructure schemes. But, um, you know, now as, um, you know, we've done our validation, our proof of concept, and, and we've become uh, more readily available to the market and, and people have seen our technologies being successful. Um, now we're having much larger scale projects that we're being classified in. So, um, you know, uh, uh, this year alone, um, we have uh, a project upcoming um, in, in New York that's going to be using over a thousand of, of, of our tide pools and uh, armoring units. Um, we have several projects uh, in the UK um, who are being implemented into large scale infrastructure schemes. And, you know, we'll be seeing hundreds of our units um, be deployed over the next several years as the different phases of these projects are, are, are laid out. And, you know, um, as far as scale is concerned, we're also heavily uh, targeting the, the offshore market. Um, and, you know, with um, 
off, offshore wind power due to increase exponentially over the next 10 years. Um, all the different turbines need uh, ultimately uh, at the, the base of them scour protection. And if you imagine the turbine itself, um, it, it is, is a very large structure, but then around that, you know, um, say for or a 10 or, or, or 20 meter diameter pile, you have a surrounding circular uh, protection of about 50 meters um, around that structure, um, basically providing um, stabilization for that wind turbine. So with, you know, I think there's 26,000 wind turbines due to be constructed in the next 10 years. Um, and you know, imagine square footage of um, positive impact that we could have if um, those uh, footprints were being constructed uh, with environmentally sensitive uh, concrete. Absolutely, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a major uh, area you would think. Um, uh, renewable energy and ecological um, benefit with the infrastructure, I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense uh, to me. Andrew, tell us a little bit about what's what's. Um, well, actually, no, we'll come back to that in a moment. Tell us. Let, let's take a little bit of a back step. We've we spent a significant amount of time talking about the um, uh, the, the problem of coastal infrastructure and, and the technology and your products and so forth. I just want to go back for a moment now. Now you've been with the company almost since day one. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the connection that you and 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 Shimmer, the, the co-founders, had? What was there? What was there and your vision um, getting this started? How did, how did all of that come together? And, you know, essentially, what's the what's the big why for E-Concrete? Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, the the concept actually came back in um, earlier than 2012. And um, Dr. Ido Sella and Dr. Shimmer Perkofinkel, both from Tel Aviv University, they're marine biologists and, and they're the co-founders of E-Concrete. And, they were actually working as uh, consultants at the time and both being professional divers. Um, they were doing a lot of subsea surveys on different types of infrastructure um, all around the world. And uh, they started to realize that different materials were recruiting different types of biology better than others. Um, and then, uh, you know, just knowing how um, the extent of the use of concrete globally is, um, they wanted to address, well, what can we do to make uh, concrete more uh, in environmentally sensitive product and, and material while still, you know, being within the bounds of the structural requirements of the industry. And, um, you know, they just started to work with concrete technicians and uh, develop different admixtures um, for fresh water, for temperate, for tropic conditions. And, uh, you know, then they, they coupled that with what was known and being worked on really globally as far as the, the design of units and how you can address um, biomimicry and, and nature inclusive design within, within the design of these elements. And, um, you know, they were, as I said, you know, we went from small scale uh, validation and proof of concept projects and pilot projects. And, and, and now, you know, as we've gained traction and, you know, have been very successful with, with the 30 projects around the country, we actually have um, doubled the species abundance and the species biodiversity. Um, in all of those projects, we've reduced the presence of invasive species and, and increased the presence of na native species. Um, and, you know, uh, as we're gaining traction and people are getting more comfortable with our technologies, now we're going to, to much larger scale projects. So really our, our, our mission is, you know, and although it's, it's been a long road to get here and we've definitely had to do our homework, is, you know, to improve the world for the better, one, one project at a time. And, you know, you have these completely urban environments with which need fully structural solutions. And, you know, lots of times um, the negative impact of that, um, you know, especially over, over in the U.S., um, you either pay into a mitigation bank or you do some sort of off-site um, mitigation projects such as marsh plantings or, or, the, or the like. And, uh, it, you know, we want to actually reduce the negative impact of the actual construction of that project and not just push it off um to, to to some other space um so you know if, if we can reduce that negative impact and, and, and improve the, the positive impact uh, on the environments um then has been more so than been the case in the past that's really what we're, we're trying to do one, one project at a time so mm. that's excellent i mean we can't keep running to offset schemes uh forever can we um exactly 
So uh, did, just to pick up on something you said there, Andrew, that I, um, we didn't touch on earlier, do you, um, uh, when you put an infrastructure project in place, does the, does the customer, uh, uh, do, you, do you go back over time to actually articulate to the customer uh, the impact, the ecological impact? So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Most of our projects to date, we, we do a minimum two and a half years of, of post-installation monitoring. Um, we, we measure the number of species, the abundance of those species. Um, we, we look at the actual uh, amount of organic and inorganic material that is being recruited. Um, so then we provide that as a metric for the positive impact that's being had on the environment. Um, and, and you can quantify a number of the different ecosystem services that way. Um, but you know, then, then we, we take all those results and it's all driven by statistical analysis and, um, you know, we do comparisons versus the traditional infrastructure that's on site. Um, and we basically do a side-by-side -side comparison and, and, and do peer review publications showing the, the impact, um, the positive impact that we've had on the environment. That's, you know, how I can comfortably say that we've doubled species abundance, doubled species biodiversity reduce the presence of uh, invasive species, you know, because we actually have gone out and, and scientifically uh, validated that uh, across all those different projects that we've discussed. Is the, um, is the reason for the reduction in invasive species because you have a natural um, increase in, um, uh, in the native species there? Yep, absolutely. It's not that we're discouraging the invasives, but we're giving the natives a more competitive edge yeah. um, to compete. I mean, many times the invasives are just taking advantage of the fact that the environment's too, too far gone um, from what the, the native species require uh, to properly develop. So um, really what we're, we're doing is just giving them a more competitive edge um, in, in that fight. Um, and, and, and then we're getting a more equal balance uh, in the populations. Fascinating, fascinating. Andrew, we're coming to the end of our um, of our time here, but there's a couple of things that I do want to touch on. We have we do have a few minutes. Um, firstly, what um, what does the road ahead look like? What are your priorities over the next um, twelve to twenty four months? Say, I mean, at, at, at this point, um, you know, um, we're, we're just forging ahead. Um, you know, obviously, we've we've had a. a severe setback with, with the loss of uh, Shimmer just last week. Um, and, and everybody at the company is, you know, deeply saddened by that. But at, at our cores, um, we now more than ever um, recognize how important it is to carry on that mission that uh, her and Ido have set forth. And, um, you know, we are going to continue with, with our, our good work. We're actually internally expanding. We have about... Um, five positions open in the company right now. So between uh, sales, design, administration. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I highly recommend anybody listening to this that's interested in working in this realm to, to, to reach out to us. Um, we have a few of our much larger scale projects uh, coming into fruition this year. Um, so these are going to be our, our sort of flagship projects. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's going to echo us in, into a new era of um, having a, a much larger impact, a positive impact on the environment. Um, we're looking and targeting, as I said, uh, offshore infrastructure. And if we can, you know, uh, be successful within that, then, you know, that, that impact is, is just going to be exponential. Um, moving forward, just because of the amount of um, offshore wind infrastructure that's planned for the future. So, you know, really now, you know, we're in the final transitions of, of being a startup company in, in, into, you know, um, being uh, becoming a, a global power um, in the, the construction of, of coastal and marine infrastructure. So, uh, you know, I'm very much looking forward to, um, you know, seeing, um, you know, the, the positive impact that we can have uh, moving forward. And, you know, we're seeing engineers and landscape architects actively uh, specify us in, in, in various projects and um, you know it's, it's taken us quite some time to get here you know rightfully so it's a very conservative industry um, but now that we've we've proven ourselves and our technologies uh, I, I, I'm looking forward uh, very much so to to the next uh, several years and um, you know ha having this uh, vision become a reality so you you're at the start of your uh, scale up journey if you like. Next time we speak, we probably won't be referring to you as a startup. 
No, definitely not. And I think te technically we're probably not now, um, but um, you know we're we're definitely coming into a new era. Um, so, and you know, even the availability of our mold systems that are admixture, you know, uh, are, are going to be readily available more so around the world. And you know, it's, we're definitely going to become more of the norm rather than an exception. Mm. That's fantastic. Um, look, the final question I was going to ask you was how can people out there support you in your journey? You've, um, you've mentioned a couple of things there, or at least one uh, in particular, the new positions. Um, where can people that might want to work with in concrete, where can they go? Can they get in touch with you, visit the website? Is there somewhere they can visit? Yep. Uh, feel free to visit uh, our, our website, um, just uh, eConcrete.com econcretetech.com I'm, I'm sure you'll um, if you just put econcrete in um, to the search engine you'll find it easy enough um, or reach out to me personally Andrew at econcrete.us um, but, but but more so it's just really you know and this is what we've been doing for years now is just getting the word out there um, that there is an alternative um, to the traditional solutions um, and, and, it's, and it's a successful one. You know, we're considering it a win-win. You know, we're providing for ecosystem services. We're improving the structural performance. We're cost-effective. Where you know, um, return on investment is paying for the product itself many times over. So, you know, as, as we have more and more projects to um, ultimately, you know, prove these claims, um, you know, I think the, the, the proof is in the pudding and, you know, anybody who's working on or is a stakeholder um, in, in any uh, coastal marine infrastructure projects, uh, whether you be a regulator, engineer, designer, um, you know, when you have a project going on, just please feel free to reach out and, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's really how we're working with different folks since, you know, just uh, starting with very casual conversations and seeing where we can take it. So. Fantastic. So anyone interested in working for eConcrete, reach out. Anyone interested in um, uh, considering ecological benefits in the design of uh, coastal infrastructure globally, uh, reach out to Andrew. And uh, generally, um, I'm sure you have Instagram and all the social media things that people can mm -hmm. follow. Uh, in fact, if people would like to um, get a bit more of a visual idea for some of your products, I suggest checking out the website and, uh, and your social pages. Um, gives you a, a much a better idea of, of, of the products when you can see them. Um, Andrew, thank you again for um, spending the time with me today. I, I really appreciate it. Again, our, our deepest condolences to, uh, to you and everyone at, at eConcrete and um, absolutely all of the best as you continue to push forward with uh, Shimrit's mission. No, thank you, Nick. We appreciate that and, and the support from uh, Ocean Impact and looking forward to uh, continuing to work with yourselves in the future. Fantastic. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers.